and that we are now called children of God, that we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're free. We're free in Christ. We love, Lord, that we can bring you our lives, that the heart of worship isn't that you want a sacrifice or a song, God, but instead you have freed us to live for you. Father, we pray that you would teach us and lead us and guide us continually in this journey towards the attitude of Christ, humility that you're calling us to right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're continuing in Philippians chapter 2. This is our third week in Philippians 2 as we talk about humility. And uh, we're going to be in Philippians 2 starting in verse 12. It's going to be on the screen, but if you happen to have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to follow along with that, whether that's digitally or in your laps. And I just love, I love it when we bring our Bibles to church. And then if you want to be an overachiever, I love it when you take notes. Every time you interact with material, you learn a little bit more. And so if you're reading with a Bible that you have with you, if you're writing it down, the things that the Lord is teaching you, you're going to retain those things more and more. And that's really what we're after, right? It's not just about listening to the sermon. It's about living what God is calling us to live. Amen? So anyways, Philippians 2, uh, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Amen. So, um, has anybody ever, we appear to be stuck, Don. Maybe I have multiple slides there. It went, it's coming back. I see that. It went away, but it's going to come back. Uh, Has anybody ever had the uh, pleasure of being an apprentice before? Yeah, that's a real gift to be an apprentice, because when you're an apprentice, what you get to do is you get to absorb the knowledge, the skills, the information, and receive direction from one who has a huge amount of training in the skill or the craft that you are doing. Uh, Have you ever noticed how kindergartners paint? How do kindergartners paint? Fingers, it's all over the place. Have you ever noticed how middle schoolers paint? It's, it's on the roller, but it's all over the place, right? Have you ever cut in a wall? Like, remember the first, anybody painted a wall before? Remember the first time you cut in the wall? How did that go? <laughs> Not so great, right? A little bit of wavy lines, any touch-up paint on the ceiling? Or did you go, I think we're going to do crown molding now. <laughs> Let's just cover that area. We can pre-paint the crown molding. We'll get that up, right? I remember a few years ago, we had this uh, local mission trip that we would do with the high school and middle school students, and we called it Go Give Grow, and the whole point was serving the community around us, so we're, we're going and we're giving our energies and our efforts to the Lord and the service that he has, and we're going to grow by doing that, right? So it's the journey of Christian faith, right? We're going with Jesus, we're giving ourselves to his purposes, and we're growing in him, and one of those things that we got to do one year is we got to paint at a thrift store. And as part of that, we asked a painter in the church if he could join us. And I got to be right next to him for a few minutes, and I got to say, his painting looked really great. It was a good thing that I was on the field of the wall. 
That's where my skill level was at. I was able to operate the roller up and down. I knew about getting paint on the roller. I had mastered the fact that if you move the roller too fast, you're going to wear as much paint as you're putting down on the wall, right? But that's where my skill ended, and it's because I'd never been apprenticed by a painter before. I'd never had an opportunity to stand next to a painter and see what he did or she did and hear the instructions and understand how it worked. But you know what? There was this thing that I felt inside. It wasn't just a knowledge gap. It was a skill gap. I had to take the thing that I saw and I had to practice it and try it and then try it again and try it again. As I'm watching him, I said, I don't think I could do what you do. And he said, no, you can. And I was like, I don't think so. He's like, well, try. And I tried. And when I listened to what he did, it looked better. It looked better than it did before. It was the best cut in that I've ever done in my whole life. But do you think it stacked up to his work? Do you think that when I looked at the edge that he painted and the edge that I painted, I went, I've mastered this. I figured it out. I could be a painter from now on. Not at all. Because what do apprenticeships take to make them work? Time. We have to have time devoted to the learning. Being an apprentice requires diligent and zealous humility as you move forward. Diligent because you have to stay at the task. And zealous because you have to have your goal in mind in order to move forward. Because how many mistakes do apprentices make? Too many mistakes. If it was about the mistakes, no one would be an apprentice. What's it about? The result, that place that you're going to get to. You're going to pursue that excellence. You're going to pursue that perfection. Because one day, you can go from apprentice to what? Journeyman. And you can go from journeyman to master craftsman. Have you ever gotten the pleasure to work alongside or have an opportunity to have a master craftsman work on your home or in another place? It's almost magical, isn't it? The amount of knowledge that they have inside. The things that they can do automatically. They just drip skill and beauty into the thing that they do. And they get done and you thought, I didn't know that better homes and gardens could happen in my backyard. But here you are. You made it work. Everything flows to the door and everything flows from the door to the outside. I feel like I'm Martha Stewart, but better looking, right? And so like master craftsmen, they transform the world around them through knowing their craft. Well, today we're going to talk about the apprenticeship that we're invited into. Today we're going to talk about not just the humility that's out there in Jesus, the humility that we want to adopt in ourselves. Remember the instruction last week was to adopt the attitude of Christ. Now it's time to apprentice in that attitude. Now it's time to take that humility forward, to not just say that that's an attitude I want, but to embrace the journey of becoming humble like Jesus was humble, to become a master in being Jesus-like. Did you know that you can do that? That God wants to work in you so that your life looks like the life of Jesus to others. Now, that's not an alone thing. You're apprenticing under the master himself, Jesus, our Savior and teacher. And so Paul continues his instruction to the Philippian church. He says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, now not only in my presence, but also even more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, I love where Paul starts. He doesn't just get into this heavy instruction right away. Have you ever received really heavy instruction from someone who you know doesn't care about you? What does that make them? 
It's like a drill sergeant, right? Anybody go to boot camp? Do you feel like that drill sergeant loved you the first day or the last day? Not at all. Not at all. They were there to make their boot prints fit in your back forever, right? You knew where you were in the pecking order. It was not about building you up right away. It was about tearing you down to build you up. That was the old school model of boot camp that many of us went through. Not me myself, but many of us in the room. I don't want to act like that was me, but I have friends who've been through that. Paul starts out with this loving tone, my dear friends, beloved ones, those who are agape in Christ Jesus, those whose lives are being drawn into the perfect love of Jesus. We need to remember that as God is calling us forward, this is not to earn salvation. This is not to earn God's love. This is to live in God's love and let that love transform you. Has anybody ever been transformed by anything before? Yeah. I've earned a dad bod in this season of life. I've been transformed by food. I've taken on the shape of my diet. Round, right? What has gone in is coming out of me, right? And you can see that. Now I'm working on the other. Now I'm working on exercise transforming my body. We'll see if that works as well. The pizza seems to have a faster effect than the walking and the not eating as much. But we get transformed by the things that we do and the things that we take in. And we want to let the love of God enter into us. And then we want the love of God to begin to shape us. And so as we talk about this, this is all within God's love. It never becomes earning. It never becomes gaining the thing that God has already given us. It becomes allowing the love to transform us. And then Paul throws this challenging word in there. Am I behind on myself? I don't think I'm behind on myself. There we go. Somehow some slides got mixed up. Okay, all right, there we go. Uh, he says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now this concept of obedience and working out, they're linked together. Working out is the instruction of obedience. Obedience is the thing that we're doing, and we're doing that continually. So let's talk about what that obedience is for a minute. Remember the first time I heard this word? I was about 21. I had been a Christian for under a year, and I was going to this church, and the pastor said, God wants you to listen up. It's like, mm, God wants me to listen up. My ears are perked up, right? Listen up. And he's like, that's what obedience is, is listening up. And I was like, okay. I need to listen up to God. He said, it's a military instruction. You're listening to your commanding officer. You know that you're not in charge. You know that you receive orders and you play out those orders. And he said, when you listen up, you realize that this listening up is for your benefit. You listen up and it's not for him. He's telling you what you need to do for you because he's trying to keep your backside alive in the battle that you're in. Amen? So God gives us instructions for our good. Now, amazingly, he's so awesome that his instructions are also for his glory. But we are glo he is glorified when his good happens in our lives. Now, I want you to think for a minute. Anybody into, like, military tactics and history? Steve Fisher, I know you're in here. A couple of other people, right? So the Romans, they had some really awesome military strategies that were new. 
there was this thing where they would form their shields up, right? And they, would, they called it the turtle. And they would all go under their shields and they could march forward under enemy fire from arrows, right? But what happened if a guy on the side didn't listen up? When the commanding officer shouted, turtle, and he was like, I like turtles. And he just like lost it, he rabbit trailed. What's going on with that guy? What's going to happen to him in the battle? He's going to take on fire, right? He's going to get maimed or injured. And what's going to happen to the guys that he's not covering now? Because he's not listening to the instructions that he's received. They're also under threat, right? And so we need to remember that this call to obedience is a call from our commanding officer, Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And he's calling us into formation. And that formation, that movement into the form of Christ is the thing that leads in so many ways to our salvation. Not ultimate salvation, right? Not not your name written in the Lamb's book of life, but being saved from the spirit of this age. Being saved from a wasted life that doesn't matter, from focusing on all the wrong things. Being saved from fruitlessness and being saved from our flesh that constantly calls us to crave things that are not of the Lord. And so this working out is a process of obedience. Now this concept of working out, when we hear work out, what do we think? Exercise. I get this picture of Richard Simmons in my head, right? Like, come on, let's go. Yeah. How long do you work out with Richard Simmons? How long are you jazzercising for? How long are you pumping it up with Arnold? Five minutes, some of us are like, I changed the channel right away, man. That is not my jam. I don't work out. But I know people, they work out regularly, 30 minutes, an hour. I know some hardcore gym rats, they're in there like two hours a day, they're pumping the iron. That falls short to what this is calling us to. This is not like work out, like look in the mirror and get buff. It's not like work out, like flex and get in shape. This is about working forward in life. It's this idea of constant pursuit towards a completed product it was used in mining it was used to describe farming and refining it was used to describe manufacturing it was a process towards a goal so your goal is this salvation and according to the last message that salvation is taking on the attitude of christ that is our goal it's the working out of what god has already put in us and we're going to talk about that more in a minute so it's this it's mining do miners work hard is it an easy job it's a challenging job but miners they've changed the world right i mean where would we be without mining you wouldn't you wouldn't have a phone in your pocket you wouldn't have heat for your home you wouldn't have cars all those things were dug out of the ground that we use to make life better and so these miners are working hard for the benefit of others how about farming? Is farming easy? No. My wife grew up in a farming town. I've been laughed at as I've asked a lot of questions of the farmers. I've learned so much about how lazy I get to be because I don't farm. Because cows don't take days off. And wheat doesn't decide when, or you don't get to decide when you harvest the wheat. You don't get to decide when your equipment breaks down. You don't get to decide when the disease comes or when the bugs come to eat your crops. You have to work to bring this fruit about. So there's work that God calls us to do, and it's hard work, and it's serious work, and it's continual work. There's no days off in Christ. There are days of rest, but even resting is good work in Christ. We have to redefine work to not necessarily be something that is hard to do, 
We need to define it as something that is good to do because of the result that we're seeking after. Paul continues and he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now this is one of these funny places in the Bible that we make about us personally. That when I think about work out my salvation, who am I thinking about? Me, it's my salvation. It's because it's translated that way. This is one time when we need like a Georgia translation because it's all y'all, work out y'all's salvation. Okay, all, all y'all, what's that mean? Everybody, and then what's y'all? My body, right? It's me, right? And so there's this collective and individual part to working out our own salvation. I've said it a lot of times, Christianity, following Christ, is a team sport. There is no solo Christian. You cannot do it alone. It requires a team to make it happen. I need to work out my salvation with you. You need to work out your salvation with me. God changes us in the context of intentional, loving relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We make manifest to each other the love of Christ. We bring to bear the truth of Christ in each other's lives. Have you ever thought that everything was good in your life and had somebody who loves you in Christ walk up to you and say, hey, I have noticed that you don't seem all right right now. What's going on? Like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And they're like, no, seriously, I've been praying for you. What's happening in your heart? And as you listen to the Spirit, there's this penetration of conviction and love and you realize that your attitude has been off or you've been walking in pride or you've been pulling away from the service that God calls you to it's so easy for us to deceive ourselves into thinking that we are all good or that we are all bad and we need somebody to walk alongside of us to hold us up when we're weak to lead us and guide us when we're not listening well we are not God unto ourselves and as we live in Christian community with each other, our salvation is worked out better and better. Now there's a backside to this too. Your walk matters to your brothers and sisters around you. In your family when you were growing up, how did you feel if your siblings were sick or unwell in some ways? It impacted you, right? Is my brother going to be okay? I saw him puke last night. I'm a little worried in my child heart. Is he going to be fine? Remember, I have a friend. He, uh, his, his grandpa was unwell, and, and he was like four, and the family didn't really know how to talk to him about that. And so uh, mom said, Grandpa got sick. That's what happened. Grandpa got sick, and then he died. And then like three weeks later, he got the stomach flu. He's throwing up in the uh, porcelain receptacle, right? And his mom came in, and she's rubbing his back, and she said, it's okay, honey, you're just sick. And he goes, I'm going to die? <laughs> he needed mom. He needed mom, right, to like lead him past that. And so often we don't realize that when we're unwell, our brothers and sisters are concerned, and they want to help us get better. When we're spiritually unwell, it's just as important to allow our brothers and sisters in. I know so many people, when, when life starts to fall apart, they pull away from those relationships that would be a source of life and encouragement, maybe correction, but even in that correction, life 
and encouragement. When things are hard, it's not time to draw away. It's time to press in and invite people into our lives. But you know what it requires to do that? Humility. We have to be willing to receive that feedback. We have to be willing to receive those words from Jesus so that we, we wouldn't be walking alone but allow others to speak into us because we're working this out, not just our own, but with the Lord. And then it says that we're going to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. I don't like these words in this sentence. I'd like to be like Thomas Jefferson and be able to edit the Bible sometimes. You ever have that moment where you're like, can it be like with ice cream and celebration? Like that sounds way better to me than fear and trembling. And, and I want to make these words somehow better for you. I, I want to take away the significance of them. But the reality is, is this is, this is phobos and tramu. It, it is fear and it, and it is shaking and there's something amazing happening here. And we spend so much time trying to talk about what these things are not so often because it, it isn't terror, but it, it is rever reverential awe. And it is being amazed by God and his love, but it's so much more than that. It's one of these pictures that we can't capture with just simple phrases. And so I want to walk through some passages where fear and trembling happen. This is, by the way, how you do word studies, is when you want to understand something in the Bible, you look elsewhere where you find those words, and it gives you a better picture of what those words mean. And so we're going to start in Psalm 2. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. What's happening here? Worship. Worship is happening here. What are we seeing God to be? Amazing and great, right? We can't forget that Jesus is the one that spoke everything into existence. We can't forget that Jesus is the one who went to the cross, died for our sins, and rose from the dead bodily. We can't forget that Jesus is the one who has received all authority in heaven and on earth. We can't forget that as we approach the throne of grace and mercy, who is on the throne of grace and mercy? We are not talking to the minimum wage employee through the drive through speaker. We're talking to the Lord of heaven and earth. So yes, enter with boldness, but don't enter with pride. Enter with humility, fear, and trembling. Psalm 55, 5. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. This is not talking about cleaning a bathroom. <laughs> it's much bigger than that. This is David repenting of his sin. Remember his sin with Bathsheba? And then Nathan the prophet came and, and confronted him. And then David realized the great error, the great sin that he had committed. And then Psalm 55 is a psalm of repentance. It's a psalm of returning to the Lord. And so repentance involves this fear and trembling before God. And then in Acts 2, 43, the fear came upon every so then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. What's happening here? Wonder. Wonder at the amazing work of God. Sometimes fear and trembling isn't about, I've done something wrong. It's about, wow, God, you're amazing. I cannot believe how awesome you are. It's that moment when the thunder of God shakes the foundations of your soul, and you realize, wow, I forgot how great you are, God. In this moment, I just, I just am filled with awe and wonder towards you. Acts 9.31, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So there's this place where New Testament faith in Jesus has this foundation, this bedrock of awe, of reverence, at the awesome God who has saved us. There's this place for this sort of fear in us. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. It's this acknowledgement that the work we do, this working out of our salvation, is not done by our strength because we are not strong enough. Have you ever had to do something that is just at the edge of your strength? So as you're doing it, there's like this quaking that's happening as you lift or you move or you hold or you carry or you finish and you've got like that exhausted like, I don't think I could do another thing. That's what Paul is talking about here. I was there with you in weakness. It wasn't my strength that led to your salvation. It was the strength of God. I I was afraid that I might fall, that I might falter, and that it would result in lack for you. And so it's this fearful dependence as we work in the Lord. And then this this is one of my favorites. In Mark 5, there's the story of the, the woman in the crowd as Jesus was walking to heal Jairus' daughter. And everyone is pressing in on him. And then Jesus stops and he says, power has gone out from me. Who touched me? And there was a woman in the crowd and she had had this hemorrhage and she'd been bleeding for years and it says that she'd spent all of her money on getting her health back. Can you imagine spending literally all of your money on finding health only to be just as sick as when you started? So now you're broken and broke. Her life was a wreck because of this illness. And she reached out and touched Jesus. And through her faith, by her faith, she was healed. And then it says that the woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. This fear and trembling isn't bad or wrong. This fear and trembling is good and awesome. It calls us to come before the Lord, to fall down before Him in humility and confess the truth of our lives. I was this way, God, and then you changed me. This is this moment of, wow, what just happened? Now, a lot of us, I think, need more, wow, what just happened in our life from the Lord. But I'm, I'm wondering if we're open to that. See, we live in this day and age where we've seen it all and we've done it all. We're not amazed by a whole lot. I like going to movies, and I like movies, but i got to tell you, the older I get, the more I'm less wowed in movies. It's like the same thing over and over again. It's boring. We have so much entertainment and so many things that take our focus away that I don't think we see the wow of God. I don't think we slow down enough to really genuinely be amazed by Him. I think we're hunting for the next best thing so often that we forget that we've already got the best thing, that we don't have to worry about finding something better because we have the one who is the best working in our lives. Is there any power that's greater than God's power? Is there anything better than seeing the Holy Spirit work? But somehow inside, I'm always hunting for a new show to watch, a new song to listen to or sing. What is it that my restless heart won't settle on the goodness of God and being amazed by Him? I pray that God would increase our hunger for fear and trembling, that we wouldn't be afraid for what this means, but instead we would be a people who have been shaken by God to the core and never want to be shaken by anything else. Here's the rub of all of this. 
Following Jesus is an ongoing, diligent journey of humble obedience. Worship and wow and repentance and impact. It's the pursuit of this whole thing, not partially pursuing it, all the way committed to it. I could add to the list zealous. It's an ongoing, diligent, zealous journey of humble obedience, a fervency of pursuit of Jesus. A few years ago, I had the, the pleasure of leading uh, some young men who were judicially challenged. That means they had trouble not breaking the law. Have you ever known people like this? And, and they'd all gotten uh, these sentences for being in a program that was supposed to help change their life so they would no longer lead a life of crime. And we took them camping. And uh, we took them camping down the Oregon coast near Manzanita. And one night, we decided to go on a night hike. And so we hiked out for sunset on Arch Cape. And we were talking, the, the leaders, we decided that what we were going to do is we were going to stay there until we could see the stars. So we spent like an hour hanging out there. And then we said, okay, let's walk back. Now those young men, they didn't realize that our plan was for their difficulty and their growth. Because what do you need for a night hike to hike back? And you know what we didn't bring on purpose? Flashlights. You know what that meant? They had to follow close. They had to follow fervently. They had to pay attention. They had to walk diligently. They had to be humble enough to say, I need the guy in front of me. And he needs the guy. Because there was one guy with a light. Roger in the lead. And so he would communicate. Roots. Rocks. Look out. Now There were stars that were piercing the canopy of darkness, but it wasn't enough light to make our way. And so we had to walk in dependency, chasing the one who was in front of us. This is so often what our Christian life is like. We want to continue to follow Jesus in an ongoing, zealous, diligent, humble way as we pursue obedience to Him. It's not that I'm looking for you to obey me. I'm looking for you to obey Jesus. And then Paul gives the reason why. Because it's God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purposes. This God working in you. It says that God is being energetic in you. He's actively energizing in you. He is adding power and energy to you spiritually. It's important that you understand that. It's also important that you be open to receiving that and you faithfully walk in that. I have met believers who are not open to God working in them any longer. They've been hurt. They've spent energy. They're tired. It's somebody else's turn. I gotta tell you, it's your turn until you don't turn over in bed anymore. It's your turn until he draws you home. It's your time to work for him now. It might not look the same. I'm not saying that you have to do the same thing for your whole life. But God is not done working in you until he's done working in you. Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you, this work, will be faithful to complete it until when? Until the day you give up? Until the day you retire? Until the day you've had enough? No. Until the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to continue to work in you. He's adding his energy to his life, your life. Are you open to that? Next, we need to be faithful to that. 
I've been in so many services where I've personally been moved to make a response, to respond to Jesus, and that response is gone by Tuesday at 2 p.m. Has that ever happened to you before? Sometimes it's not even Tuesday. I remember we lived near Costco once, and like the whole church would have second service at Costco, and by the time they were looking at my receipt, the application from church was gone because I had sampled so many good things that I had forgotten about the work that Jesus was doing in me. Was God done working? but I was done listening. Have you been in that place before? And let's pray. Father, would you, would you help us to work with you in your work, to desire your work, to be open to it, to not give up, to not quit, but to let your energy and power work in us. In Ephesians, Paul prays, and he tells the church in Ephesus, the power that is working in you is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Do you know the greatness of the power that God is working in your life for? Sometimes it feels like Christian obedience is so hard. I think it's actually that we don't know how to receive power from God because he's already won the battle. We're just kindergartners holding onto the rope and our teacher is in the lead. Hold onto that rope and walk with him. He's not going to give up on you. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. To will to desire, to have your appetites be transformed. God is transforming your appetites. He's calling you to want greater things. He's calling you to want better things. It was a gift when I read a theologian say that God wants to transform your desires. I thought, wait a minute. He's transforming my desires? I had realized that God wanted to transform my actions, but I was always falling short, and it's because I wasn't responding to the Lord, working in me to produce new desires and better desires that were not from me, that were not from the world, but were from Him alone. And then He is working to work that out. Desires have to change first, and then actions change next. When your desires change and your actions change, Man, you're going to make great headway in this apprenticeship with Christ. If you think about this whole chapter, it's, de it's developed your mind and your heart and your body in the Lord. First, have this attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. Where's an attitude formed? In your mind. Next, have these new desires that God is working out in you. Where are desires formed? In your, in your heart, in the center of your being. Next, take these actions onto yourself. Where is that happening? In your body. It's this whole life pursuit. It's this complete transformation of who you are as you're apprenticed by Jesus. God wants to transform your whole life, not just part of you, your appetites and your activities along with your thinking. Now, there seems to be this conundrum in this passage. Verse 13, God who is working in you. Verse 12, work out your own salvation. Who's in charge around here? Don't they have a better editor for the Bible than this? This is basic logic. Come on. Well, there's both working and going on. See, God was already at work in you, and he's continuing to work in you, and he's going to continue to work in you, but you also have to work it out. The picture of mining. The miners are digging stuff out of the ground. Where did that stuff come from? Did they put it in and then pull it out? No, it was already there, and who put it there? God put it there. This picture of agriculture. What does a farmer plant in the ground to grow it? Seed. Where does it grow? In the ground. How does it do that? God put life in the seed. God put nutrients in the ground. 
God brings the rain. God causes the sun to shine. What is the farmer really doing? He's taking care of the plant. He's doing the work that allows that life to grow. This is the picture of our walk in Christ. God has already put in you the things that you're working out. You are translating his work in you into your real life so that what he's done in you is coming out of you. You're just saying yes to God over and over again because he has done the work in us. We work out what God has worked into us and we do it with God's power. Your journey of diligent, humble, zealous obedience is founded on God's work and fortified by God's power. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the Corinthian church that the foundation has already been laid, the foundation of Jesus Christ. And then our work is judged. But our work is not done alone. It's fortified by God's power. Have you ever watched a serial commercial? Remember the serial commercials when I was a kid? They used to tell a little more truth. Now they're not really so into that. And so they'd say, Lucky Charms is now part of this complete breakfast. And what did they have on that table in addition to Lucky Charms? Real food? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They had like eggs, actual toast, milk, juice, another piece of fruit. And then there was like this little bowl of Lucky Charms with the recommended serving size, which is like half a cup. Now, when I was a kid, how did I eat cereal? Half a box, right? I didn't get those eggs and the real food. And so I had to consume this mass quantity of junk. It wasn't really fortifying me. I was, I was living on sugar alone. This could explain the knobby knees and elbows and lack of muscle on my body, right? Man is not built by Lucky Charms alone. Your faith is fortified by God's power as you live it. It's Him who's working it out. It's Him who started it. We work out what God has worked into us. There's a song that came out a little over a decade ago by Matt Redman. It's called Never Once. In the lyrics it says, Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. God does not leave you alone in this journey. You are his apprentice. Christ is right there beside you, and Christ is working in you. Let's put it in another way. Following Christ is not something you can do on your own or in your own power. God has to do the work. You just follow up. He's showing you what to do every step of the way. It wasn't accidental that Jesus said, I do what I see my Father doing. And now we say, I do what I see my Savior doing. We follow Jesus on this way. And then Paul gives the easiest part of this whole chapter, and everyone I know is an expert at this, so we don't need to spend any time talking about it all. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Uh, any, any grammarians out there? What's an onomatopoeia? It's, it's not a French recipe. It's a word that makes the sound, right? It's the word like bang, right? Clap. These are sound words. Grumbling is a sound word. If we were all Greek, we would get it right away. Gogusmu. <laughs> what did you say? God bless you. Do you need a tissue? Do you need a bucket? What's happening in you? Gogusmu. It's this rumbling inside. It's this discontent that starts in you and forms out of you. And then to argue, which is to talk along the words that were already spoken. We are sadly experts in this. Far too often, my pastoral appointments, and I, I love all of you who have ever met with me, and I, I'm not... With great respect, I'm saying this, and I've been one of these people. They're not meetings about how can I apply what Jesus is doing. 
Will you pray for my life because I want to respond to Jesus more and I'm not doing very well in this area? They're often meetings about arguing, talking alongside of what Jesus already said, trying to reestablish God's truth or twist it from what it is to something else. You know, sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we need to really argue it out and say, this is for the sake of my submission and I just need to talk this through so that I can let it go. But far too often it's about our theological predilections and what we think. And so we twist the word of God and we try to change it into something that it isn't so that we don't have to deal with who God really is. God, forgive us for our argumentative and stubborn nature. Grumbling, complaining about what's going on, complaining about who is leading us. You know why these things are a distraction? They're the enemy's warfare on our life. We have to remember that what does the enemy want us to do? To take our eyes off of Jesus. To stop walking in Christ. When I take on grumbling and arguing, who's at the heart of my life all of a sudden? Me. Who's on the throne of my life? Me. Which spirit is energizing this? Now your answer. That's right. Satan is energizing this because he doesn't want me to focus on Jesus. He doesn't want me to be that apprentice. He would rather be complain, me complaining about the journeymen who are guiding me and the Savior who is making me into a master craftsman than to be willing to work at it. We have to give up our grumbling and our complaining. I, I don't have to define what it looks like, but I, I do have to lovingly point out that sadly we are, our, we are all too good at that from practice, from the world around us. Everywhere we go, there's grumbling and complaining. Let's not be grumblers. Let's not be complainers. Let's speak words that are good. Let's build each other up. Let's do what our grandparents said. If you don't have anything nice to say, put it on Facebook. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Hold it to yourself. Express it to the Lord. Complaints go up, not out, and not down because it's how you create dissension in the ranks. And dissension in the ranks is the fastest way to cause an army to be defeated. Sadly, some of us are really, really good at this. If that's you, take some time to have some fear and trembling before the Lord today. Repent of your commitment to your gogusmu. Then, he says, so that we can be blameless and pure. Blameless, innocent, not doing wrong pure, I love this one, cherry, untouched, in new condition. Does anybody restored a car to cherry condition? That's such a good feeling, isn't it? You just look at it and you go, it's 70 years old, and it looks like the day it got driven off the lot. Listen to that engine purr. That's how God wants you to be. He's willing to restore you and work in you so that your soul is cherry, like a classic that people look at and go, now that's a real machine for Jesus. Look at that guy operate. Look at that gal go. It's like they were made for what they're doing. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. Faultlessness. Standing blameless before God and before people. If you have faith in Christ, does God see you as full of faults? No. He's already justified you. You have received the righteousness of Christ. Amen. You're covered in the blood of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Jesus was made by the Father who knew no sin, right? Jesus knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. 
But God wants to make that righteousness reality. He wants to take that heavenly justification and work it out into your life so that over time you become faultless. Do you believe this is possible? Do you believe that God can work out this level of salvation in you so that this is able to happen in you? That's his target, this completion in Jesus. Now, will you be perfectly sinless before you're glorified? No. But can you be less sinful than you are now? Less pursuing your own will? Only pursuing God's will? Amen. That's right, you can. Do you desire that? Do you want God to work that out? I remember in recovery, I had a counselor ask me, do you really want to change this? Are you really interested in growing? I think sometimes we have to ask ourselves that. After we've been stuck for a while, we have to decide, am I really wanting to grow? Or do I just like this process of saying that I'm going to grow? Saying that I'm going to give up my anger? Saying that I'm going to give up my laziness? Saying that I'm going to get plugged into ministry again someday? Sometimes it feels better to say I'm going to grow than to actually pursue the growth. God is working in you to pursue the growth. He's working in you so that you might be faultless. And don't be afraid of that condemnation of others. So others say, well, they're just, you know, so good. That's what Christians are. No, that's what people who love Jesus are. And he says, in a, in a crooked and perverse generation. Now, I want to talk about this for a moment because sometimes when we hear these terms, it sounds so harsh and so condemning and so difficult. Well, this crooked and perverse, perverted generation, it, it's more like scoliosis. When you look at a kid with scoliosis, do you think, man, they must be such a terrible sinner that God would curse this first grader with scoliosis? Or what did their parents do that caused them to be so cursed and so crooked. Perverted is to be twisted or confused or dislocated. Have you ever seen somebody with a hyperextended knee walking around? You're like, how come they're so slow? Why are they walking that way? Can't they just walk like normal people? So full of condemnation, those thoughts would be. And when we read these things far too often, we think that God is condemning this generation around us, but instead it's the physician diagnosing. They're bent and they're broken. It's not condemning, it's compassion from the great physician who wants to heal and mend. This isn't about condemning the world around us. It's about recognizing what is really there. God created each person for glory, but natively we fall short. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. That's a measurement against our created purpose. And God wants to mend and make whole. You know, if you're hearing this today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I don't want you to feel condemned by what you're hearing. Please understand that Jesus wants to heal you. He wants to enter into your life and make you whole. He wants to give you everlasting life. And all you have to do is say yes to him. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I want this everlasting life that you're offering me. I want that work that that guy has talked about to be started in me. And so I'm putting my faith in you today. He doesn't want you to be twisted. He doesn't want pieces of your life to be dislocated. He wants you to be filled with goodness and joy and love. He wants his spirit to rest in your life. And all you have to do is say yes. And then Paul says, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding fast to the word of life. This holding back fast to the word of life 
It's the word of Christ. It's the transforming power that started in you. Not that you need to do it on your own, but that God is working in you and that the love of God is shaping you and that Jesus is committed to you. It's holding on to the truth of the gospel. And it says that as we do that in an ongoing way, we shine like stars. I want you to think back to Genesis. God is creating the heavens and the earth. And on the first day, what did he make? Light. And he separates the light from the darkness. And on the fourth day, God made the stars in the heavens. Well, there was light on the first day. Well, what, is this, what in the world are the stars in the heavens about? It's to guide and to disclose and to tell. He talks about seasons. And it's not just talking about physical seasons. It's about seasons of the Lord in creation. And, and then how do we use the stars? How did the earliest sailors navigate on the ocean? By the stars, right? And so you, when you hold fast to the word of life, you're like that star, a navigating point for the people around you. You become someone that can guide people to the destination of Jesus. You become someone who can bring truth into the lives of the people around you. God wants to use you, and he wants to use your walk and your work with Jesus as a witness to the world around you. God wants to use you and your walk and your work with Jesus as a witness to the world around you. And you do that as you learn to live in integrity, as you learn to allow the attitude of Jesus to be the thing that is shaping you, as you're apprenticed more and more, as you apply what you learn from him. And then Paul says, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run in vain or labor in vain or for nothing. Paul's focus isn't right here and right now. It's on that future calling about something greater than his own success it's about the reward of being faithful to jesus he looks forward and then he says but even if i am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith i am glad and rejoice with all of you paul is modeling humility it's not about him it's about jesus and it's about the others that he's serving humility is the only true path to joy joy is spelled jesus others, and then you. Those are the priorities of life. And Paul is finding joy as he takes on this humility. There is deep joy in humbly obeying Jesus. I don't want to meet stodgy, grumpy Christians. I'm willing to, if that's you. I'll shake your hand, and I'll greet you warmly, and I'll love you, and I'll give you a cookie and a hug so that joy can enter your life again. It's joyful following Jesus. It's transforming Paul says, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering, even if my whole life is just poured out on you and does nothing but create an aroma of praise to God, I rejoice. I rejoice with all of you because you have Jesus. He's rejoicing because the priorities of his life have played out and they're the right priorities. Wouldn't it be so nice if you could look back over the course of your life you could be in that place where you realize that there's the intersection of this present moment and eternity, and you look back over your life and you say, there's been so much joy because my priorities have been right. There's so much rejoicing because I've been able to faithfully follow Jesus. What would it be like if, if those who show up at your service remembering you can say there was joy because we knew Jesus and we knew their love for us? And so now we rejoice in their life of faith. That's the result of a life faithfully lived as an apprentice of Jesus. A 
as he makes you more and more into a master craftsman. It's a life of genuine joy as God has transformed you and made his life happen in you and through you. And so our call today is to work out what God worked in you when you were born again. As we walk with Christ, we're working out what God put in us, what he worked in us as we were born again. How many of you have the sermon notes from today? If you've got your bulletin, you can open it up in there and you'll see there's the sermon notes. And on the back side of the sermon notes, there's just the start of a list of the stuff that God worked in you the day that you were born again. Things like your sin is separated from you. Things like the Holy Spirit enters into you. Things like you're made whole and complete in Christ Jesus. Things like you receive mercy and grace in deep and abundant measures and always have access to that. These are the things that God has worked in you that he wants to start working out of you. Did God do a great work in you when you were born again? Did he work a mighty salvation in you when you put your faith in him? Did he just say, well, I'm going to work on this one later? He started right away. The day you put your faith in Jesus, you were a new creation. You were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves. You were adopted into the family of God. You received the Holy Spirit. God did awesome work in you on that day, and He is not going to quit working that work in you. So don't quit on Him. Work out what He put in you. Are you ready to make that commitment? Where do you want God to work this out right now? It's good to be targeted. I find it so effective to be a sniper in my Christian faith, to name that area that is out of whack. Is it my anger? Is it my attitude? Is it my tongue? Am I, am I backbiting to others? When bad things happen, do I sound like a sailor on the docks or a worshiper of Jesus? Am I committed to a lifestyle that doesn't walk with Jesus in some way? Am I dependent on some other thing to make my life right than Jesus? Is Netflix really my God? Does the dispensary dispense my hope? Am I born again as I put the bottle to my mouth? Do I need to let Jesus transform me in some specific way? If you're like me, you probably do. Ask God to work that out today. He's not giving up on you. Never once will you ever have to walk alone. He is faithful. Let's pray and commit these things that the Holy Spirit has brought up in our hearts to the Lord's work. Lord, you are working in us. You started this work long ago. The day that Jesus died on the cross, he said it is finished. The day that we put our faith in Jesus, the work in some ways was finished and also just beginning. Lord, thank you that you walk with us. Thank you that your power is working mightily in us even when we don't realize it. Father, we welcome your work. We pray that your power and energy would be working out in our lives more and more. Father, we want to take these areas that you have brought up in us and ask you to continue to work. We ask, Father, that you would move us into this place of awesome fear and trembling, that we would be shaken by your work. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would help us to faithfully work out what you have started. We thank you, God, that this work will come to completion. And Lord, I pray for my congregation, your congregation here. Father, help us to mature into being master craftsmen. Age does not make us mature, Father. Transformation makes us mature. 
please continue your work in us so that the picture that we paint is a picture of Jesus as we walk through life. We pray these things in his name. Amen.